Inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, Sports Fast Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, you out there. Brought to you by Matt Black Kia. They want to get you approved today. Matt Black Kia, 6211 Black Horse Pike, Egg Harbor Township. About one hour from now, Jeff Mosher has today's football at four with news on the first Eagles injury report. They're getting ready for Washington, and we've got all the details coming up during today's football at four. Doug Peterson spoke this morning. So what do you think about this whole story that Jeff McClain popped out there from the Inquirer today? Basically, uh, it goes back to the whole discussion. I don't know if anybody out there caught this, but we talked about this during football at four months ago during the whole um, Walsh and uh, Rowe when they got fired. And that there might have been a little bit of an internal rift about that, where Peterson said they were both safe, and then he had to do an about-face when they both got fired. And how Peterson might feel about all that. Does he feel like uh, he's getting overruled a little bit in there? Well, this is coming from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Jeff McLean. We remember that Mike Rowe and Carson Walsh, it was a bit of a mess last year, and Doug Peterson said they were safe. They had to come out, and they had to make an, uh, make a statement and kind of go back on the word. It says here that Doug Peterson became irritated, frustrated, and pissed off. These were descriptives used by sources to describe the coach because he had already given Groh and Walsh his word. But at, the, at some point over the next day, after meetings with owner Jeffrey Lurie and general manager Howie Roseman, and these are in quotes, Doug suddenly became okay with firing both, a source close to Peterson said. So to me, it looks pretty simple. Doug Peterson wanted to go a certain way. The front office disagreed and overstepped Doug Peterson and made the call. That's what it sounds like. We thought about that at the time, though, and I remember talking about that during football at four was, look, you essentially minimized Doug Peterson's um, insight. He said, no, I don't want to fire these guys. And you said, no, you're going to fire these guys. And it made Doug Peterson look like, you know, that he was uh, a little minimized in but, his authority. But did they do it for the good? I mean, when you look at the general power. It might power, have been for the right, good. It exactly. might have been for the good. For the, for the general power structure, you might go, oh, this is a bad look. If you have Doug Peterson, you want him to be hiring the right guys, and you want him to be able to have last say. That's what you do when you're head coach. You can hire your own staff. But at the same time, if these people are not the right hires and the front office knows that, maybe they do need to go in there and say, hey, let's figure this thing out. This is why I called them the Three Stooges yesterday. They're you know, all that whole the place. That whole situation was uh, handled very poorly as well. I remember that vividly where they, they really did not handle that thing well. And then it comes out today, Jeff McClain reporting from the Inquirer that essentially mm, Doug Peterson uh, doesn't uh, feel that he has the same voice maybe. Hopefully they don't get him too upset to the point where things can go ugly. Yeah. All right, uh, Jason Fitz, ESPN, Spain and Fitz. You can hear it right here on 97.3 ESPN weeknights from 7 to 9. And, of course, he joins us Wednesdays on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline as we got so much to dive into. NFL Week 1 starts tomorrow night. Baseball is coming down the stretch for the playoffs. But we got to start in the NBA. Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks they go out. So what's the future in Milwaukee? And uh, Jason Fitz, I mean, 
How much stock do we put into this season, them being the number one seed again and getting knocked out in, in pretty decisive fashion? Are there poss- the possibility of changes coming in Milwaukee? I think there should be. I mean, I think it's fair at this point, at least a coaching change. Let me say it that way. Like, uh, and, and look, I think Budenholzer's done a really good job in a lot of ways. But at some point, you got to look around and say, okay, well, what can we change? And I, I think one of the things that's really bothered me in listening to some of the coverage, even over the last 24 to 48 hours on the bus, is people keep saying, well, they just need to go out and get this guy or that guy. Well, they're pretty strapped into who they have from a contract situation and from a cap situation. They don't have a lot of movable deals. They don't have a lot of pieces – that are going to be easy for them to just ship out. So it's not like they can say, okay, well, we're going to bring in whoever. Like a Chris Paul is going to come here. Well, not unless he's willing to play for next to nothing and they can find trade partners that are going to get them out of the pinch they're in. So I think they're sort of stuck where they are for the most part. And being stuck where you are means suddenly you're going to have to find a way to change something. So Budenholzer, to me, is the easiest thing to change. You know, But there is some level of concern in my mind with how different the offenses look, those two games that uh, there was virtually no Giannis. And – you talk about how quick they were and how, how much more momentum they had and how, how much more they pressed the ball in general. And that's what they did in the regular season. It just feels like in the playoffs, they get shut down to a half-court offense that doesn't execute very well. So, you know, the, the decisive victory uh, from the Heat can't be taken away. And so I think Budenholzer, unfortunately, for somebody that seems to be a good guy and seems to have had the right notes for this team, during the regular season, is, is they've got to look for a change. Yeah, I was going to say, is this more of an indictment in, forget, you know, I know you can't make those changes, but we had the same thing here in Philly. Is this more an indictment on the coach, Mike Budenholzer, or the player, Giannis Antetokounmpo? Can you, are we starting to find out that you maybe can't win with him? Yeah, well, and I think Giannis, look, I do believe it's fair to say there are limitations still to Giannis's game. And, and, we all can see that to a certain extent. Uh, that being said, he's a two-time MVP. Two, I mean, presuming that he wins again, this, he'll be a two-time MVP, right? And that that's we're talking like nitpicking. And the same thing that we talked about when we talked about Simmons and Embiid, if you put Simmons and Embiid up on the trade market right now and told any team they could go out and acquire them, those are two players that would be in massive demand, even for any limitations that they have. So if you know that you've got an epic player, then, you got to look at change to the coach first because I can't find a way that the Bucks get better by unloading uh, Giannis. And even if they unload Giannis for just an absolute haul, is that going to make them a better team? I, man, I have a really hard time seeing it. So, you know, getting rid of Anthony Davis certainly did not make the Pelicans better. It got them in a position to get a lot of players. Maybe eventually it helps them. But right now I'd say that the Lakers are pretty happy with no matter what that deal looks like on the other side with the deal they got them maybe. How much of this is where Giannis is in his career? He's 25 years old, and he's been taking extreme steps, which intrigues everybody, but at the same time, he might not be where he needs Well, it's pretty clear, it looks like. He's not where he needs to be yet. He's 30 to 32% from three, which is definitely not insanely well from three, but it shows that he's willing to do it. I just wonder, when you look at the history of the NBA and when guys seem to take that step of really pushing towards the NBA Finals consistently, they're not 20 five years old they're in that 30 year old range yeah and you make such a great point the problem is he's got the physique of a grown man we all know that but then you look back at the pictures of when he was drafted and you realize how meteoric his rise has been not just in size but in development of his game and so you start thinking about all those things together i i don't think long term there's any limitation on who Giannis can be the problem that the bucks have is that they've got to go all in on keeping him happy 
right now because, as everybody knows, he made it clear championships matter to him, and if he doesn't think he can win one, then he's going to leave Milwaukee in my mind. Loyalty aside, you want to win a championship if you're a player at the level of Giannis, especially knowing that everything about your legacy will be questioned for life if you don't. So, you know, it puts the extra pressure on Milwaukee to get something done. If we were just having a conversation about Giannis and saying, could Giannis be good enough in five years to be the best player in the NBA, I still believe the answer to that is yes. The problem for the Bucks is that in the meantime, they've got to do whatever they can to win a championship right now so they get to see us in five years. Because if they can't get it done and they end up being a two or three seed next year, remembering that Brooklyn's going to be healthy and hard to beat, if they end up being a two or three seed next year and having the momentum, he's not coming back in my mind. So uh, that, that's why this is such a difficult situation. But you are very fair in saying that, you know, Giannis still has, he's 25, he's still got a lot of time left to develop his game. Uh, ESPN's Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz, you can hear it on 97.3 ESPN, seven to nine weeknights. And uh, were you surprised uh, that Billy Donovan and Oklahoma City parted ways? And do you find him to maybe be the most attractive coaching option out there for a place that needs a coach like, say, Philadelphia? Yeah, yes. And, and you know, he's done what we put how difficult it is to make the leap from college to pros, right? And we forget how difficult it is to sort of be the right personality and understand the change of the game. And, and we also forget how many coaches fail in that same leap. Billy Donovan, I think, has had a, a tremendous amount of success compared to what we could have expected. And he's made the best of a situation that at times can be difficult in Oklahoma City. So, you know, the fact that they mutually parted ways is because if you're the Thunder – in my mind, you feel like you're constantly just running it back. And it's like that, that group at the gym that always thinks that the next time they get on the floor is going to be the time they finally win one, and it just doesn't work out. So I understand the mutually parting ways. But, yes, if I'm, a, if I'm a team right now with young talent particularly and I need a coach, man, not only has Donovan shown you that he can do it at, at a professional level schematically, he's also shown you that he understands how to get the right notes out of the right people. I, I think he'd be a great hire for Philly. Do you think that he would be a better hire than, say, Ty Lue? That's a really good question. That is, that, I mean, Ty Lue is the name that always comes up. I, I don't know. I think there's a freshness and an energy uh, to Donovan that I prefer, and especially when you're talking about what the 76ers need, in my mind from a coach, is somebody that can convince everybody to not only play within the, the system of what they want, but can also convince everybody – uh, that, that they're the guy that can sort of bring them all together. I think Donovan's got more of that. To me, Donovan's got more it factor when it comes to getting guys to buy into him and his room. In some ways, I know it's a strange comparison, but he's a little like Dabo in the college football world. Like there's just a thing about him that I think can make people gravitate to what he's doing. And there's a, an opportunity there to remind Simmons and Embiid that they can play within the system but still have fun. I think they have a better chance of doing that with Donovan than Ty. All right, Jason Fitz, tomorrow night is the uh, kickoff of the NFL season. We had questioned whether we would ever get to this point, but they are going to start the NFL tomorrow night. There's actually going to be some fans at Arrowhead Stadium. I think it's going to be like 20% capacity there. And uh, are are the Chiefs for you the clear favorite to repeat, or is there a couple of other teams that you have your eye on more than them? I don't think anybody's even going to give them a tough time when it comes to winning the Super Bowl. I, I don't remember a season. And, you know, this is – it really hit me yesterday. I was sitting there thinking about the NFL season. And, you know, I think a lot of us have been so worried that we're not going to see a full season that people just haven't gotten as excited for the season coming up, which I think is unfair. We should just enjoy what we have. But as I 
I look at it this season, one of the things that makes the NFL so spectacular is that every year you just don't know. And this year I feel like the, the, the Chiefs are so clearly set, barring injury, to be better than everybody else. They feel like that type of team that we saw, you know, I'll, I'll go back to like the, what, the 86 Bears that were even better than the 85 Bears but didn't win the Super Bowl. Like, it's going to take some level of, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened to knock the Chiefs off. So, to me, the AFC is a done deal. The NFC is much more interesting. And that's where, you know, I, I think it gets trickier to figure out who the Chiefs are going to play in the Super Bowl, but I think the Chiefs win it all. All right, that's tomorrow night right here on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, uh, Spain and Fitz, 7-9 to nine weeknights on 97.3 ESPN. He joins us each week right here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. A nice little whip around of what's happening. And, of course, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Thanks, Jay. You guys are the best. Appreciate you. Stay safe. All right, man. And, of course... I think tomorrow, he just made a good point. I think he made a really good point with the fact that maybe we're not as jacked up about football season because so many people weren't even sure if it was going to happen. When we actually finally see it, will that change some things for you? Yeah, I do need to see it. The thing is, it'll be different from what you see in Kansas City to Philadelphia, though. That's true. By the way, breaking news with some 76er stuff. Interesting. MKB has the news. Okay. We will bring that to you coming up on the other side because I don't know what you're talking about. Cool. So stick around for that. MKB's got breaking news around the Sixers. We'll have it for you coming up next. I got some baseball stuff I wanted to get into as well. All right. Plus, we got headlines in about 20 minutes. There's never an offseason for the NFL. It's show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, Mike and Broad, Sports Bash. Here we are on a Wednesday. Tomorrow we'll have NFL football right here on 97.3 ESPN. And don't forget... This Sunday, the locker room with Billy Schwime and Broads will be taking you right into Eagles coverage from 10 to noon. They'll get you ready for Eagles in Washington. You'll have all the news and notes, the inactives, and all that good stuff. So looking forward to that on Sundays now. And, of course, tonight, game night. It's Weinberg Wednesday. Dave Weinberg, 26 years on the Eagles beat every Wednesday night. He'll talk Eagles with Josh on game night. Josh has a great football lineup for the uh, season, by the way, too. Andy McNamara is going to be joining him on game night. On Friday's show, Andy Benoit will be joining him this week. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Working on uh, somebody good for either Thursday or Friday as well. Got a little something-something I'm working on. All right. Look at you working off the air. I would have never thought. <laughs> All right, uh, you said MKB has some news? Yeah, so MKB is tweeting this out. It's actually per Kevin O'Connor, so he is uh, he's saying the Sixers front office has, in quotes, seriously debated the idea of going after Chris Paul. Uh, that's interesting because you've heard the Bucks too, right? They said the Bucks are going to try to go after Chris Paul as well. Uh, look, I mean... Kevin McCormick from 973ESPN.com wrote about this two weeks ago. He talked about, well, does it make sense to trade Horford for Paul? That's the move. If you can do that, you make that move, What right? does this do for OKC, though? That's what I'm trying to figure out. What does bringing in Al Horford do for them? That's a great point. It, it unloads the forty plus million dollars okay, but you're stuck with an Al Horford's 20-plus for a longer term, right? 
Yeah, the only thing I can think of is you want his professionalism around, like, if you have some younger bigs down there. You have Steven Adams, though. I mean, could they mesh well? I mean, right, why would you want to go through what the Sixers just went through with Adams and Horford? Like, that trade sounds okay on the surface. It made more sense with Billy Donovan there because he was the coach of Horford. Now Donovan's gone. He could be your coach. Do they make moves? Do the do the Thunder know, hey, maybe we can get rid of Adams and acquire even more assets, and they're going through this entire, hey, let's just grab as many picks as we can, and let's build this thing, and we'll have Horford here, who's a veteran, who can maybe teach these guys how to play in the NBA. Yeah, that's the one problem I have with that trade. I just don't know if you're giving up Chris Paul to get Al Horford. Well, what are you giving up if you're the Sixers? Is is it Al Horford? See, the the whole speculation... Okay, it could be Tobias Harris, but Harris's contract well, uh, is so out of whack. No, I agree with you, but is it somebody else? Here's the problem. Chris Paul makes so much money that Horford or Harris would have to be in that deal, I would have to imagine, unless it's Embiid. I can't imagine that. That's my point. If you want to get Chris Paul, he's making $44 million. But it's only a couple of seasons. doesn't matter. You no, have I, to match the oh, salary. No, I, I know. I know. For, for, the, for the actual trade, I get that. I'm just saying right. long-term so, so wise. So for the trade to work, you have to give them $40 million. And guess what? Al Horford only covers half of that. Well, there's been people screaming that, oh, you got to trade Ben Simmons for Chris Paul. and Why would you ever want to do that? That doesn't make well, any sense. Well, here's the sense. thing. Here's the thing. The new coach who comes in, you better get his opinion first because you better make sure that new coach wants to take Ben Simmons off the ball and is comfortable with that. I do not want to see Ben Simmons off the ball. So if you bring Chris Paul in here, he's going to be the ball handler. Well, you can figure out a way to do both. Uh, you're right. He is your traditional standard point guard who's going to have the ball in his hands more times than not. But I don't want to see what I saw last season during that backstretch of Ben at the elbow just holding the ball there for 10 seconds. I don't want to see that version of Ben Simmons. I think he can be effective as a, as a screen setter with Chris Paul, though. I think you can play that role with Ben. And I could see him pushing the pace with the ball in his hands as well. Well, Chris Paul, I mean, they played together, him and Harden. The problem is Ben Simmons ain't James Harden. I'm, you know, they both, my point is they're both ball handlers. Right. And they were able to kind of make it work together. Chris Paul's not a great three-point shooter. He's good. He's not, you know, he's 37%. He's about league average. So he's not great. But you would have two guys that want the ball in their hand a lot. But it is different because late game situations, we saw many times where you would give the ball to Jimmy Butler or you would give the ball to somebody else. Now you'd be giving the ball to a veteran pro pro in Chris Paul who can set up the offense and give you a good look. And I don't think that Ben Simmons is going to be complaining when that happens because Chris Paul, this is what he has done throughout his entire career and he's very experienced at it. James Harden and Chris Paul going head-to-head on, I want the ball, no, I want the ball, no, I want the ball, is a totally different scenario than Ben and Chris Paul. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. I mean, Ben... Unless Joel Embiid's thinking, why does Chris Paul have the ball? I want the ball. Give me the ball down low. Well, you went through this with Jimmy Butler, though, where they gave the ball to Jimmy Butler, and then Ben wasn't happy. But that was different because 
Ben Simmons was the guy all season long in all of the situations. And then here's a game seven, and here's a couple fourth quarters in the playoffs, and it automatically went to Jimmy Butler isolation. This would be, Chris Paul would be on this team all season long, and this would be how it would play out for the entire season. This would be their identity. This would be what the team would do all the time. So I think from that aspect, it's a different scenario rather than Ben Simmons is the guy fully, and then, oh, by the way, here's the last three minutes of a fourth quarter in a playoff game. Hey, Ben, everything we did to this point, you go just stand there. It's not going to be that yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, and again, I, I, I probably would make the deal just to kind of change the complexion of the roster up. I'm le- If Brett Brown was still the coach and you're telling me I'm going to turn the roster over again, that's a different story. Brett Brown's not here anymore. The new coach is coming in. Whatever roster he gets, you get. But now, again, you're asking Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to play with another new player. And Chris Paul, how old is Chris Paul? How many more years is he playing for you? Because then you're saying, okay, this is just a stopgap. But it's something that he's 35 years old. It's something that you can – let's look long-term. Right now, we look at this roster and we want to rip our hair out because you're stuck with an Al Horford for so long – you're not stuck with Chris Paul for four seasons at, a, at an obnoxious rate. It's just a handful of seasons, which I think will help your team more so than hurt. Like Al Horford or Chris Paul, Chris Paul helps your team. So it not only does it help your team now, but it also helps your team down the road because you're going to open up so much more cap space. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You're going to get two years from now, you'll get that contract to 44. It's $44 million. He has a so player option. Yeah. It's 41 next year, 44 player option the year after that. Now, the only thing would be is if he decided to opt out of the deal because he hated playing with these guys. But that would be even better, no? It would be, but my, my point is, so there is a small possibility. The only thing is, you opt out of $44 million, you ain't getting $44 million on the open market, so you suck it up and take $44 million. Absolutely, and I would find it hard to believe after what he played in last year, which, look, they made some noise. It was a fun run for that OKC team, but you now join Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and you're going to have that much more of a uh, – you're going to have that poor of a season? You're going to hate it that much to go no, from I mean, what you, you played might in not OKC like, to now? You, might just, you just might not like the fit of playing with Ben Simmons in you. Okay, that's I all. mean, I guess that's fair to say. But. I mean, he might love playing with Joel Embiid. He might be like, this is great. I got a big man. I can feed the post. They double him, kick it out to me. I shoot 37%. I never have anybody around me. Now I shoot 40%. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. Would that now push someone like uh, Josh Richardson to the bench? Well, and now I that's think your Josh Richardson man. might be involved in that deal. Oh, true. That's very true. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I don't have that trade machine in front of me, but I know that you have to include... But he doesn't make that much money. If we're going to be talking about cap stuff and making sure the it matches what you have in Al Horford, Josh Richardson, it's not like he makes some obnoxious amount of money to really push that when it comes to matching cap. It's going to be a problem for these guys. That Well, to, to make that trade, yeah. I mean, you could do a move with um, Al Horford, who makes – oh, man, he makes more money than I thought. He makes 20 – so Chris Paul is on the books this year for $38 million, so that's what you'd be trading for. Al Horford makes $28 million. Zaire Smith, $3 million. Josh Richardson makes 10 so it is more than so I thought. So you could do Horford and, and, and Richardson, or you could do a Horford-Smith-Milton. What if you have to move Matisse? I know I asked you this before, but this specific deal, if you I have to put Matisse, Matisse in there. I mean – 
Yeah, but you could I'm probably do Horford of, and Matisse. You it, could probably do that. Yeah, I'm thinking if it's a little bit of a, you know, it sweetens the pot a bit. Not so much when it comes down to money, because obviously he's on that rookie-type deal. But if they're thinking, hey, look, you got to throw Matisse in here. Now, the trade cool. machine for the Sixers says if you make that deal, you decrease the Sixers' projected wins by six. Yeah, well, guess what? They probably said this projector in the beginning of last <laughs> season probably said it was a 60-win team. Yeah, so. you would move Horford. You could move Horford. Smith and Milton for Paul. There you go. That, nope. that deal works. No brainer for me, actually. That gets you. Um, that would get you within the ten percent. All right. Well, let's look at it. You got Chris Paul. You have Ben Simmons. Would Tobias now be your four? And Bede would be your five. Who's playing the three? Am I missing somebody off the top of my head here? Because Josh Richardson would no longer be there. Who would slide no, in? In that deal, that oh, it I was did. Jo- okay, so Josh Richardson would then be your three. So that would be who it is. Yeah. CP3, Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, Tobias, and Embiid. Does that get you excited? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I like I like Chris Paul. I'm a big fan of, of Chris Paul. It's definitely a better option than going back and running it back, if you will. No doubt, right? Well, running back what you had last year. Yes. Right? I, I don't think that team is is good enough. Right, so this definitely is better. But I still don't look at it and say, this is an NBA title team. But I don't know if you're in the spot right now to have an opportunity to rebuild this roster to an NBA title team. You're somewhat stuck. You're making this move to get out of the the salary. Can you believe that the Sixers have salary cap problems after all of the work that Sam Hinkie did? That they have salary cap problems? Not just salary cap problems. Arguably the worst salary cap problem possible. It can't get much worse than this. Unbelievable. Hey, the uh, PlaySugarHouse.com text board is open. Place your legal sports bets at PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. You must be 21 or older to play gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Mike Gill, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. He's Hunter Brody, at Broads81. Coming up, we got headlines. I got a couple headlines that I want to throw your way as well because I saw some crazy stuff out there on Twitter today. Also, Keith Smith's going to talk more NBA with us. We got football at four. Jeff Mosher with all the latest. Don't forget, go to 973ESPN.com for the latest on Eagles today at practice. This is the radio home of Philadelphia on 973 ESPN. All right, time for the headlines here on the Sports Bash 973 ESPN. And uh, coming up at the top of the hour, we'll talk uh, football with Jeff Mosher. Inside the Birds podcast for football at four. Adam Kaplan tomorrow. Can't believe it. Can't believe football is here. To kick up, kick off football's 101st season, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all users a no-brainer to start the season. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for week one, DraftKings is ensuring that even if Kansas City was to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash a bet. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101. They are also giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pools. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code 973 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey-only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You want to kick off with one of yours or one of mine? I can. I got one. That I, I got want. a couple that are uh, on my in my wheelhouse. I don't think anyone's going to top my first one, so we'll start with me. Wow. Alec Boehm 
It's a walk-off for the Phillies to take the first game of that doubleheader yesterday. Alec Boehm. All right, look. Alec Boehm. Alec Boehm. Okay, Alec Boehm. Alec Boehm is legit. No, I like his I like his plate approach. Two strikes, it doesn't matter. Two outs in the bottom of the seventh He's doesn't good. matter. He's a legit and, bat. And the thing is, right before that, you saw the difference. Adam Hazley was up the bat in the same situation. There was one out. You had the two guys on. He was up 3-0 in the count. He ended up striking out looking at a curveball right down the pipe. And then Alec Boehm steps up. Another young player. Two strikes. Bang. Right through the, the infield. Goes into left field. And the Phillies win the game. It's just unfortunate that... What happened in the second game happened. Remember we thought David Phelps was going to be a good pickup for this team? He stinks. So far. Yeah. Been disappointing. Yeah. Uh, uh, every it, It's crazy, actually. I know I have the stat written here somewhere. Yeah, he gave up that dinger last okay. night. Okay. Phelps, Workman, Hembry, and Hale. Since coming to the Phillies, 21 and one-third innings, 18 earned runs, 10 home runs, 46 base runners, 7.59 ERA, and a 2.16 whip. The Phillies, yeah, the four relievers they acquired. I saw that from uh, Corey Seidman last night. It's unbelievable. We said, oh, they actually have a good bullpen. Like, good, not great, just a serviceable one. Now, that bullpen helped them win 9 out of 10. It's now starting to struggle, and it's one of the reasons why they're struggling a bit. That's bullpen zone. It's like the fuse is starting to go down, and the offense isn't performing as well as they have been. Bryce Harper, wow. Talk about ice cold. This is one of the worst streaks of his entire career. He needs to wake the hell up. You give him a free pass because at one point he was so hot, hitting at an unbelievable rate that you knew he would cool down to an extent, but now he's stuck in the freezer and he's got to get the hell out. This team needs Bryce <laughs> Harper. They do. They need Bryce Harper. It's time to start what getting on him. What do you think him. of the way that Girardi's handled the bullpen? I don't really have an issue with it. Like yesterday, for example, that second game where David Phelps comes in and allows the homer, in a seven-inning game, Vinny V gives you five, he strikes out nine, and he allows two earned runs. I mean, Vinny V did fine in a seven-inning game. He gives you five. You need two innings out of the bullpen. Yeah. You can't get that? I mean, that's a problem. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, the bullpen is going to be a problem. <laughs> I mean, it's not going <laughs> to be news. They didn't fix it overnight with this whole, um, you know, this whole bunch of trades. They, it's better, but it's still a problem. Now, isn't this crazy? The Phillies haven't swept a doubleheader since 2012. Yeah, 11 and 8. That's so impossible. Even if you're the Baltimore Orioles of last year where you lose these epic amount of games, you would still find a way to beat a team, right? And to be fair, 2012 through what? You don't 20, play a whole heck of a lot. Th that's true, but 2012 through 2015, even though they were bad, the last couple years they've been able to win baseball games. How has it been that much of a problem? they got to beat the Red Sox in two. I, I was extremely pissed off because they should have lost both. Alec Boehm stepping up. They should have lost both. Right. Tommy Hunter. I caught him Michael Jordan over the last couple stretches because it was fun. More like a Pippin. <laughs> More like a Pippin. That's, that's such as a bullpen guy. <laughs> All right, here's one for you. According to a source, the ACC is proposing that every single team in Division I basketball makes the NCAA tournament. Out. Every team. I'm out on that. What do you mean, every team? Some of these teams win three games a year. 
You're going to put that in the NCAA tournament? They're in. Out. Out. You like that? Not at all. That sounds I don't even like the freaking uh, play-in games. Yeah, yeah, right, right, exactly. I'm out on the play-in games. I am way out on this. Can you imagine filling out a bracket with 300 and how many teams are 308? This would like that? be the year that someone gets the perfect bracket. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are proposing that every single team makes the tournament as how like a celebration even... no. of college basketball. No. And you just play first round game. I mean, you, how many no bubbles one, are you going to have? They're no talking one, about playing college basketball in a bubble anyway. Yeah. No one would even watch half of those beginning games. You got to keep it 68. It, it's normally, what, it's the 64 and then they have the four play-in teams? Is the, that what, what it's? the first, Tuesday, Wednesday, they do those play-in yep, games. the play-in games. And then the Tuesday winners go to Thursday and play in the first round. Right. And then the Wednesday winners go to Friday and play yeah. in the first round. So it's a total of 68 by the end of it. Yes. You got to keep it 68. It's that simple. Why are we why are we doing this? Is it has to do with generating money for money that they lost out on from last year's tournament? Coach K, in the ACC, we believe in the importance of celebrating our game. There is no better way to do that than involving every team in the most prestigious basketball tournament on the planet. In the thoughtful discussions among ACC coaches, the three primary factors we considered in formulating this idea were the health and safety of our players, the incentive that there will be games, all of which lead to the NCAA tournament this spring, and that we need to be unified as a sport. All 357 Division One teams competing in the game we love. Out. You're going to have some horrendous basketball games. We talk, Look at the normal tournament. When one versus 16, you saw that happen one time. One time, does that mean the number one seed in Duke is going to play the 300 and whatever team in day one? Come awesome. on, come on. You see them smash these 16 seeds like no other. To the point where you just saw the first time that it actually happened with UMBC versus Virginia. Yep. You can't be doing this. This is atrocious. In 2008, 12 Big East teams qualified for its conference tournament. In 2020, they are proposing that all of them would get in. Now, I'm actually pissed off right now. Yeah. It makes me not even want to watch. Although I will. That's I love the, the tournament. That's the thing. I love the tournament, but that's a little, that's ridiculous. Oh, oh, it is ridiculous, but that's the thing. I will be watching. So they have me right where they want me. I'm going to watch. I hate it. I absolutely, I'm going to watch. Yeah, I don't know. How, like, they would do like the bottom half teams. Like, you know, what seat, if you're the 368th team, what seat are you? Well, they would. What they would have to do is somewhat like, like they the play-in tournament, right? Those basically, I think what they would do is see the top 60, 60 uh, teams, yeah, and have from sixty-one down to three sixty-eight Fight for eight spots. Try to get into the field. Yeah, that's how they're going to have. That's how I think they would do it. Right. But imagine watching some much. of those teams play though, Vermont. Yeah, yeah Vermont, the Catamounts. The Catamounts. Yeah, hey, I spent my time up there. I've been to a couple games. I like the Catamount. Yeah, oh, it's a, that's a it's a nice uh, atmosphere for Vermont up there. I went to a couple Vermont Albany games. Not gonna lie, yeah, it's a good time. Did, uh, they had a guy when I was in college. Vermont was in the tournament. This guy Tyler Coppenrath. Doesn't ring a bell. He was but... like a six foot eight white guy who just banged threes all over the place. Yeah. Well, it does seem like whoever comes out of that conference is normally Vermont or Albany, right? Every single year. It seems like those two teams are battling for that Maine, spot. The Black Bears. 
Are they really involved that much? I don't think so. Okay, I didn't think so either. All right, here's another question. In Major League Baseball, are you okay with a losing team making the postseason this year and going forward? I'm going to say no off the bat, but can you explain a little deeper on how that can actually go down? Well, if the playoffs were to start today... You know, you would have, by the way... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said college football. You said baseball. Correct. Oh, okay. Yes, I understand how that would work in baseball. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it's going to have to be. And guess what? That team, though, who might be under 500, they could beat a team in a three-game series. Well, of course, anybody could. It's right. baseball. But do you really want to see that and give those teams that opportunity? You're now minimizing your regular season to say you could be an under 500 team and you still have a I shot. I guess I just knew that that was already in play when we saw that they were going to extend the playoff. So I kind of knew that that would be something that was potentially going to happen. So now that it's in the conversation, it is what it is. Okay. Speaking well, here's, of, your, here's your matchups yeah, right now. I was going to say. Dodgers, Giants. Gabe Kapler in the playoffs, baby. They have the same record right now, or close to, than the Yankees. The Yankees are horrible. Yeah, Gary Sanchez are, is historically bad right now. The Giants are 22-21 and 21 with a pretty bad roster. Kapler's done a great job. Oh, come on. And the Yankees are 21-21. and 21. It would be Dodgers, Giants, Cubs, Marlins. Sixto Sanchez is so elite. Braves, Cardinals. Padres, Phillies. That scares me. That Padres team is filled with hitters. Some of the Phillies, but uh, whew. I'm I'm picturing right now David Phelps out of the bullpen versus Tatis. Yeah, your ALs: Rays, Yankees, A's, Twins, Indians, Astros, White Sox, Blue Jays. Can we talk about the Miami Marlins right now? Sixto Sanchez. Yeah, dude. Wow. He's filth. Wow. Yeah. He looks it's like the scary. real deal. It is scary. So would you rather have Nap every day and Sanchez? You know what? That is so funny that you brought that up because I, at this point, watching Sixto Sanchez, I know it's only been a couple starts, but if you told me I get JT's career from 30 to 36 or I get Sixto Sanchez's career just knowing what I've seen out of him so far to this point, it's not even a question that I would rather have Sixto Sanchez. You wouldn't make that trade again. If I knew what I knew now, right? No, you get the best catcher in baseball, plays every day, or you get a pitcher. I think you get more out of that said pitcher in playoffs than you would out of. You can find an average catcher and still win baseball games if you have someone like Sixto Sanchez. Yeah, you could have had David Guyon. How about that? And Andrew Knapp. They could have platooned. I don't know if you could win with Andrew Knapp's real <laughs> version of Andrew Knapp. This, this version of Andrew Knapp, maybe. I don't know if you, the real version of Andrew Knapp you could win with. But, dude, Sixto Sanchez. The fact that the Phillies finally actually really hit on that big-time elite pitcher. That, not that Nola isn't. He is. But we've been ripping this organization for not really finding talent. You get Sixto Sanchez and you let him walk out the door by trading him for JT and keeping the JT issues up in the air right now. It's so Phillies. I can't stop watching Sixto Sanchez pitch. Why would you? Must watch. And I, I hate comping players to other players so young in their careers, but if you see the side-by-side -side footage of Pedro Martinez and Sixto Sanchez with the leg kick, with the follow-through, I, I want to vomit. His stuff is 
Dirty. 101, 100 mile per hour fastballs, then here comes an 89 mile per hour off speed yeah, somebody in the dirt. T- somebody tweeted at me last night, and it was like showing his repertoire. He has like a 91 mile per hour changeup. Changeup? Yeah. Nola's fastball is 94. Well, that's reminiscent of what DeGrom does. DeGrom's the nastiest guy I've ever seen. Yeah, he's really good. But if Sixto Sanchez is DeGrom and you let that up for even if you got JT from 30 to 36, I know that's not a bad thing to have, but if you can have DeGrom or JT Real Muto, I don't think the answer's even close to no. JT Real Muto. It's DeGrom every day of the week, right? Yeah, although DeGrom is on a team that's just no, okay. No run support. Yeah, they, they were talking about doing the broadcast on Sunday how, you know, he would never have won Cy Young Awards back in the day because he only wins 10 games a year. And that's why I think the win-loss stat is so flawed. It is, but back then, like, you would, it wasn't thought of as so flawed. He had 35 swing and misses against the Phillies the other night. 35. He's filthy. <laughs> Does he look like some of the kids that you have out on the bump for your squad? At 13, you can dominate. You're that good. Unbelievable. No, but uh, seriously, like, he won the Cy Young Award winning 21 games over two seasons. Most of the time, you need to win 20 games or be in that range to win the the Cy Young that weird. They were saying, like, back then, if you won 10 games, you wouldn't get voted for the Cy Young Award. That just shows how dominant he really is. And the fact that he holds teams to two runs, one run, throughout his outings because he's so lethal and they can't win games is just telling you how poorly the, the Mets play when he's on the bump, but not when Aaron Nola was on the mound. The other day. All right, I got one for you. Jalen Ramsey and the L.A. Rams have agreed to terms on a pretty massive extension. Five years, 105 extension, averages around $21 million per year, according to Adam Schefter. Yeah, that deal. I mean, what was the, the guaranteed money? He got like $70-plus million in guaranteed money. Yep, uh, $71.2 million. Oh, that is... Uh, Wow, at signing, yeah. Largest guarantee, 71.2 million. I mean... Doesn't this kind of remind you a little bit of um, Norman from Redskins? Like, they got him, he was a big name. Not to the same degree because of the contract, how it all plays out, but Jalen Ramsey, to me, does he still scream elite, insane, one-on-one, shut-down corner to that degree? Well, because he's been on teams that just haven't been any good. I mean, the Rams didn't make the playoffs last year, and they got him thinking he could help them get there. They didn't. The Jaguars were terrible while he was there, except for the one year when that team made the ASC championship game. But he's had, like, he's been on bad teams. So I guess, like, the perception has gone down a little bit. It just seems to me that in a couple seasons, we might be talking about Jalen Ramsey like we do with Norman. Maybe not to the degree of. Ramsey's a lot younger than when Norman kind of burst out of nowhere. That's true. Ramsey was a high draft pick, too. This makes me really happy that the Eagles didn't give up a couple firsts for him, though. That's a good point, is the fact that they traded first-round picks and then you had to redo his contract and he ends up getting $70 million in guaranteed money. It seems like the Rams don't really have a sense of the cap. They like to throw around. Oh, they're, in LA. they're just trying to be flashy out there. That's interesting. Yeah, well, and I don't know. We talked yesterday. We did our uh, who's in and who's out. Neither one of us had the Rams in. I did not have the Rams in. Now, it's funny you bring up the whole flashy thing in L.A. This has been a conversation in the hockey world. Of the four teams left in hockey, three of them don't have state taxes. 
And that's kind of sparked a debate in the hockey world. Like, you have Tampa Bay, you have Dallas, you have uh, the Islanders are in there, and Las Vegas. So you have these teams that it's so easy to bring guys in because Mitch Marner, who's in Tampa Bay, or who's in um, Toronto, who just signed a huge deal worth so much money, double-digit million a year, he's making the same as someone who signed in Tampa for 8 mil, you know? And it's it's such an advantage for these teams in these states when you're in these salary cap leagues that they're able to get this type of talent. Yeah, but that's in every league. It is, but it's being heavily discussed in the hockey world right now. Hmm. That's interesting. So the only one is the Islanders. Right, they're the only one. They're the only one. I'm trying to think back like over the years, though, like, Pittsburgh has won. Washington right. the has Devils won. Devils had that run with Martin Brodeur. Obviously, that's getting back there. But, you know, I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. But it is interesting to look at how some of these states, we, it kind of relates perfectly to what we said about Giannis, bringing guys to Milwaukee. Now, that hasn't that doesn't do much with the whole state tax stuff. But in terms of bringing guys into certain areas, it's hard to do that. We hear that a lot, though, with like, oh, this, the, there's no state tax. Like with the Miami Heat, they can bring players down there. But we don't see a lot of guys go to San Antonio or Houston to play for those teams. It's Dallas. Nobody goes to the Mavericks. No, that's very, very true. But it's just an interesting thing. You got four teams left in the NHL Stanley Cup, and three of them don't have state taxes. All right. A surprise return to Eagles practice today. This player is doing everything at today's practice and leaving some to wonder, will he be ready to play on Sunday? Originally, people didn't think this player would play. Jeff Mosher has the details coming up next during football at four. Plus, while one player may surprisingly be back, another player might surprisingly be gone. Jim Gray from Westwood One with an NFL kick.